All right, we're going to be looking in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 to start. That's 2 Chronicles in chapter 5. So the, our friend's day. Bring a friend to church days this Sunday. And we want, we want to be a blessing. We want it to be a special day. We want, we'll have some uh, special things. Mainly, you get to introduce your friend. No, I'm, but uh, we want to have that. We, we're going to have a meal afterward. So the, the main course was already taken care of. So we have a sign-up sheet back there on the counter for people who would like to bring whatever you'd like to bring. Amen. Or, I told them, I'm signing up. I'm bringing a stomach to fill. Is that wrong? <laughs> Somebody's got to eat it. I know. Somebody has to do the dirty work. I guess it'll be me. No, but if you, if you want to bring anything particular, it's, we're having uh, Mexican food, Tex-Mex is the, is the theme, but you have all types of desserts that go with that. In fact, I think all desserts go with Mexican food. Amen. So uh, remember that. And like I said, no obligation of any kind for anyone to bring anything, but, but please do come. And uh, if you want to bring something, you can we, uh, we are scheduled to go tomorrow. We're going to drive to Flower Mound, Texas, which is in between Dallas and Fort Worth. And a friend of ours, preacher up there who supports our church, actually his church has taken us on as, as missionaries, actually, and uh, support us monthly. They're having a missions conference. And though I do know the church and the family up there, the church family, I, uh, I need to go up there and see him. They're having a missions conference this week. Spend some time with them. Maybe get uh, some good things happening in my own heart and my own spirit for the Lord. Uh, that's, that'll, and Rebecca and I will drive up on Thursday to that. But they're having it all from Wednesday to, Wednesday to Sunday, actually. And the theme on Thursday night is prayer, praying for missionaries. All right? So uh, pray for me. Uh, about that situation. It's not 100% that I'm going, but it's pretty close. I mean, that's what I'll say. So we're in Second Chronicles chapter 5. We're going to read some verses here tonight. I'm going to try to explain some things to you that I saw in the Bible. And I love to do that. Nothing, nothing uh, particularly deep, but things we need to look at because the Word of God, and we're comparing Scripture with Scripture here. Uh, to derive this. So we're in Second Chronicles chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 11. And this is after the temple has been completed on the mount in Jerusalem by Solomon, David's son. It's complete. And so the last thing that needs to happen is the glory of God's show. And so let's read this in 2 Chronicles 5, verse 11, it says, It came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. That's an interesting thing there. You find the courses of the priests found in 1 Chronicles chapter 23 through 25. But it says also the Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, of Jeduthun. There you go. Uh, with their sons and their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps, stood at the east end of the altar, and with them an hundred and twenty priests sounding with trumpets. And it came to pass, 
as the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound, to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets, with the cymbals and the instruments of music and praise the Lord saying, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever, that then the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. So, that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. Why? For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. It is complete. God has taken up residence in this new building, the temple. And so we're going to talk about uh, oneness here in prayer and show you some things. But, and let's, let's pray first again. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes as we look together at this, may you open our eyes, each one individually, to some things and uh, speak to us. Help us to take good heed here on uh, the, the Bible and how we can not just benefit from it, but be a help in the area of prayer. And we ask this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this is going to be a big change for the nation of Israel. God had never dwelt in a building before or had his own house. He, lived, he dwelt in a tent. The tabernacle that was made by Moses and erected in the wilderness was all they had used up to this time. And it really had been about 400 years, actually a little longer than that, that the Ark of the Covenant, all the holy furniture, they were not in a building. They were in a tent. Amazing to think about that. The tent of meeting. The Bible calls it. But there's about to be this huge change of worship, of style of worship, place of worship. You know, think about this. So in David's time, which is right before Solomon, by the time it gets to King David, it seems to me all that's left of all the holy instruments of the tabernacle, they've been through a lot, of, uh, through a lot of hundreds of years of history, is the Ark of the Covenant. You know, the, the table, even though the table of showbread is mentioned, where, where the priests allowed David to partake of the, of the loaves, uh, which is a type of Christ, there's not the holy furniture mentioned. You know, it's, what's interesting is Solomon, in Solomon's temple, they're remaking some of these things to fill the new temple. But the Ark of the Covenant is still there. Same one. You know, there's only one. There's only one. You know, people want to know, where's it at? Well, I, who does know where it's at? God knoweth right now. Some people say that Jeremiah took it when the Babylonians came in and hid it. You know, the Bible says that there's an ark in heaven. I think it's Revelation 15. And that heaven to open and God showed that the ark is there. There's an ark in heaven. I would think that's the one that really matters anyway. The ark of the testimony. But David wants to build a house for God. You know, he'd been around the kingdoms. He had whooped every kingdom he'd ever gone to. And all of these people had gods of their own, and they had temples to these gods. And no doubt, his armies broke them down when they'd you know, conquer these places. But he's got to thinking, all of these gods, are in, these false gods are dwelling in temples, and there's idols in there, and the God of Israel, the only God, doesn't have a place to, to, to rest. And he said, he asked God, will you allow me to build a temple? 
through the prophet Nathan. And Nathan said, you do whatever's in your heart. God's going to bless it. And then that night, God came to Nathan and said, David can't build the temple. Y'all know why. He's a man of blood. He's a bloody man. He had taken too many lives and shed too much blood. He said, it's going to have to take a man of peace to build the temple, which would be David's son, Solomon. And so God allowed Solomon to build this temple for the Lord. Unprecedented. Amazing. You know, and it says it took seven years to build this temple. Seven years. You know, seven years is uh, completion. It's fruition. The cycle is over. It's like the end of a week. All these things, you know. And so, this is what's, I like this word. David says, we're going to build a temple. It's not only just going to be a wonderful temple. It's going to be exceeding magnifical. You ever heard that word before? I like that word. Exceeding magnifical. Beyond, I mean, better than any other temple on the earth. And it's going to be wonderful. And God's going to get all the glory for this. But through this temple, what's going to happen is things are going to change within Israel, the lives and the ways of Israel. They're coming to one place. That's, I mean, it's from there on out, Jerusalem. You came to Jerusalem for your sacrificial offerings. You don't do it anywhere else. It's wrong to do it anywhere else. God chose to place His name in Israel. And God told David, I will put my name on that building. I will dwell in that building. We know that when Israel sinned against him hundreds of years later, that there was a breach of contract, and God's, a breach of covenant, and God left there. The book of Ezekiel says God left. But it says He's coming back during the millennial reign of Christ to fill the temple which Jesus will build in the millennial reign of Christ. So the glories of the structure, this, this, it went from this tent, a tent. And honestly, that tent was made of skins, which is really interesting, symbolizing the skin of Jesus Christ, the tabernacle that held the God-man, the Holy of Holies, and the glory that was inside that tent. It was just this, the, the flesh of a man. And the Bible says there's no... There's not really any uh, special uh, beauty in Him that we should desire Him. It's changing because now you're getting this glorious temple. He's going to dwell in it. What it is, is it's a prophecy of the millennial reign of Christ where He will dwell on the earth for a thousand years and in His glory. And everyone will see Him in His glory. And everyone will see Him in His glorified body, His glorified state, King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord of the universe, and this wonderful temple depicts that. So the procedure in their offerings will change. The ability to get it done will change. The effectiveness to serve God around the temple, it's going to be so much easier. You have structures to do it. You know, and many rooms, and, and it was amazing building what they made. It had come. You know, it had come. And in the place that God had chosen. So the beginning of the temple, this was amazing because we'll look at this in a minute. It it's, we see this again somewhere else in the Bible. We'll look at it here in just a minute. But first, I want to look at just for a few minutes what happened here. This won't take but a second. Look at 2 Chronicles because we just read it. In verse 12, it says, The Levites, which were the singers, all of them of Asaph, of Heman, and of Jeduthun, and their, or with their sons, their brethren, being arrayed in white linen, having cymbals and psalteries and harps. 
interesting, David made and built most of these instruments that these men are going to be using. And if, if you notice what I noticed in reading this a while ago, it uses their voice connected to the music. That, you know, we can read it again. It's in here a couple of times. The voice and the, and the instruments are together in oneness, bringing glory to God. And it says, they stood at the east end of the altar and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Very significant. 120 priests. Not 119, not 121, not 161. 120 priests sitting at the east end of the altar, sounding trumpets. Can you imagine 120 men sounding trumpets? And at the same time, men singing, men praying. It said they were giving God glory, they were thanking God, they were praising God, they were lifting up their voice before God. Something big is about to happen. So there's this anticipation, there's waiting, there's the sounding of trumpets. And then it says that they were praying, singing, and longing for the glory of God to be revealed. That's what they're doing. They're going to wait until God shows up. They're going to sing until God shows up. They're going to play until God shows up. They're going to pray until God shows up. They're going to tarry and wait until God shows up. Now, look at verse 13. came to pass. As the trumpeters and the singers were as all divided. Everybody's on their own. No, it says they're all as one, right? They were all as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking. You know, men, like a quartet groups who all sing apart, or what, they are supposed to blend into one sound. Now, we're not very good at that, are we? But that's what it's supposed to be. It becomes one. You know, many moving together and coming together for the Lord and it becomes one. It says to make one sound to be heard in the praising. Now, what is that? They were in one accord. We, we, we talk about that in the New Testament, right? We're going to look at that in a minute. They were in one accord. It says they were as one they made one sound. Now what that means is unity of song, prayer, and purpose. Everybody was unified. No daydreaming. No thinking about your own life. Not worried about what's going on when you get back to home. You know, they were, they were unified with one single purpose. And then in verse 13, what does it say there? Or in, uh, in verse 13 at the end, it says, The house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord. The Lord showed up in a cloud and in bright light. And a new way began. The temple. God's rested on the Holy of Holies. Right on the mercy seat. That's where He dwelt. And they could only go in there still one time a year, the high priest. But the blessing of being there was so, so special. You know, they showed up. And in in what, what, they did this until God came. All right, so let's look, because we don't have a whole lot of time on this, but I want to show it to you. Turn to Acts chapter 1, 
And let's look at the similar situation. You know, so this would be the opening of a new dispensation. This would be the beginning of a new way. What, what the Bible calls a new and a living way. You know, when Jesus died, the veil of the temple rent from top to bottom and, and shredded and, and basically no longer did you have to be the high priest to enter in. You just had to be a priest. God had to dwell in you for you to go into the Holy of Holies from here on out. And it's, it's a new and living way. It's an improved way. What was that? Much newer, much improved way. You know, we have it. We've got a new and improved way. Alright, so look here in Acts chapter 1. Verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. The number of the names together were 119, 121, no, 120 names. You know, and it makes me think everybody's important. You know, the number of the names, the people's names that were there that day was so vital. So significant. You know, you didn't have the apostles and then everybody else. No, everybody had a name. Everybody was there. Had to be 120 present. Just like in the Old Testament. As they stood and they wait, it's no coincidence at all. Look at verse 13. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room. And they went up. And it says where they abode Peter, James, and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued, what? With one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brethren. They are doing the exact same thing that the priests were doing at the beginning and the dedication of the temple. Praying and waiting for the glory to come. Jesus had told them, Tarry in Jerusalem until the power of God falls on you. They didn't know what that meant. Power, tarry in Jerusalem. You shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. That's what Jesus said. It took 10 days. They did this for 10 days. Though they weren't sure what it would be, they knew, but according to Acts 1.8, there it says you're going to receive power on high. And you're going to have the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, it says. Man, in Luke 24, 49, it says you're going to be endued with power from on high. In Luke 24, 49, it says you're going to have the promise of the Father come to you. This is a promise that God... And so it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And sure enough, it did. They continued with one accord. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. That's my, that's my whole lesson. All together in one accord. They all showed up at His command. They waited. But while they're waiting, they're praying. They're in one accord. They're all assembled for one purpose in one place. And then the, what happens? Turn over to chapter 2. And then in verse 1 it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. There it is. If they'd have been all scattered, this wouldn't have happened. If they hadn't have been in one accord, they could all have been there in body, but not in spirit, it wouldn't have happened. It says, Suddenly, 
There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what we see is the power of God fell, and God showed up. Just as it did when the temple was dedicated and opened up. They could see the glory of God was there. In the, in the Old Testament, it was a cloud and, and light. In the New Testament, it says, cloven tongues of fire sat on everybody's head. Now, we can't imagine. What is that? I mean, literal cloven tongues of fire came, sat on them, and the power of God showed up. And the rushing mighty wind always has to do with the cherubim, because when they move, there's a great rushing. So we know that the God, not only did God show up, the cherubim showed up that day. Just like when they, in the, new, in the uh, temple where the cherubim, they were actually on the veil of the temple. It was giant cherubim were depicted upon that veil. And inside the veil on the, on the Holy of Holies, what do we have on the mercy seat? Two cherubim looking over the mercy seat, looking at where God dwelled. It's a marvelous thing that happened. What took place? The church commenced. The church age began a new and living way, getting baptized by the Holy Spirit. And you know, not only just baptized of the Holy Ghost, like the charismatics say, I got the Holy Ghost. Well, they got something. No, you got baptized by the Holy Ghost, but you got baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. That's what happened that day. They were baptized into the very body they became one. There's only one body, Ephesians 4 says. The miracle set forth the church age to begin, and our form of worship began. They don't do what they did in the temple anymore. There's no need for it. It'd be all superficial. By one offering, Jesus made all this happen. Therefore, just think about it. It was not only new, which it was new. Nobody had ever seen this before. It was improved. New and improved, we say, is based on better promises. According to the book of Hebrews, we've got a better priest. We've got the high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We have better access. We can go right into the Holy of Holies. By one spirit, we have access into the Father. And what's interesting is, though, the difference in the glory. You know, uh, so in the Old Testament, the glory was so powerful, they couldn't even go in there and perform their duties. It says the priest just couldn't even minister. They just sat in awe. And, and here, on this particular day, they were preaching the gospel and people were hearing it in their own languages and 3,000 people got saved. It's one of the greatest days in the history of the world. The power of Pentecost took place. And the, and the gospel would be preached. Men would receive Jesus Christ. They would learn to worship Him in spirit and in truth. God would no longer dwell in a temple made with hands. God dwelt in men's bodies. The Bible teaches, and it's the mystery of the indwelling Christ. Amazing thing took place. Now, you didn't get in on Pentecost, but you got the same thing because you got put into Christ just like they did. When you believed. 3,000 souls were believed that day and were saved. Now let's consider something here and then we're going we're gonna to pray together. Let's, th let's just consider this because this really struck me. 
2 Corinthians 5.13 says they were all as one. As one. Okay? They made one sound. You know, that's amazing. They brought all that together into one sound. Acts 2.1 says they were in one accord. One place. They had true oneness. You know, we would call it unity. They had true oneness. We'll look at it in just a minute, but Acts 4.24 says they, had, they, they were in accord. Now, it's interesting about that word accord. It means to be unanimous in mind and purpose. You're thinking the same. You're dwelling in your mind on the same things. You all have the exact same purpose, reason for what you're doing. Now, in Philippians 2.2, 2, it says you have the same love being of one accord and of one mind. So it's, you know, you see what we have here is we're all here together. If, if somebody in the congregation, which happens in, in the modern church age, is dreaming out there in the left field, what am I doing next week? Can't wait for vacation. They're not in tune with what's going on. They're not in oneness. There's not a true unity. You know, for the power of God to fall on, on, on this night or this day, all 120 people that were there had unity of purpose and spirit. Accord. So, let me just say this and we'll pray. In church prayer, you got two ingredients that really, really matter. Not necessarily at home in your own prayer closet or when you're driving down the road or you're sitting with your wife or your family having a devotion, which you all, we all ought to do. All those. Well, I do all that, by the way. That's not... When we come together in church, especially for a Wednesday meeting, in prayer, two ingredients, okay? So the first one is accord. We are in one accord. One mind, one purpose... I don't like this term, but all on the same page. All of us understand why we're doing this. When we go to prayer, we know why we're doing it and we do it. We're not, you know, we're not half in. We're all, all in. So the first one is agreement. I mean, uh, uh, excuse me, I got ahead of myself. You, uh, accord. Now. Acts 2.46 says they continued daily in one place and did this. And then in 5.12 it says with one accord they were in a Solomon's porch or the temple. They all went over on the temple and, and did this all the time. They had one particular place designated to do it. So what am I trying to say? It's a group of people who call themselves a church that become one. They're a body. You know we say the church body. We are a body of believers. Though we are individuals, we're a body of believers with the same mind and purpose. So first of all, you have accord. And then the second one is agreement. Agreement. We're running a long time, but turn over to Matthew chapter 18. You're in accord and then you have agreement. We're going to talk about agreement for just a sec. It says in Matthew 18 and verse 19, Jesus said to them, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree 
on earth as touching anything they shall ask. It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Don't you find it odd that we quote this a lot and we try and we pray and then nothing happens and we don't get the answer? There's probably a, a, a lack of accord there. There's probably a lack of true agreement. He said, in agreement of any manner. He said, if even two or three of you meet in my name, you're, you know, I'm there with, with you in the midst of you. If two or three of you agree in a manner, what did he say about that? Anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them in my Father which is in heaven. So agreement is to be harmonious, to be suitable. And what it really means is to be harmonious in sound together. Just like the priest, they found a way to blend all the music, all the praying, all the praising, all the singing, and it made one noise. They were harmonious. The group, this is what I'm getting at. We all ask for the same request at the same time, and we truly want it. It's not two or three people in the church want this, and the rest are just observers. We all want this to happen. We see it as a need to happen. It's, uh, I think we lack this in churches. It's oneness. Oneness. So, uh, here, here, I need to finish this, but as one person's leading in prayer, what's everyone else doing? They're praying with Him. They're not praying ahead of Him. They're not lagging behind. They're not having their own prayer list to the side. You know, I understand. You, in praying on every, all the needs, even the prayer requests we had tonight, you know, quite a few there. Hard to be harmonious. But on something like what they were doing, something as magnificent in the magnitude as Pentecost, they stayed on that together and God answered the prayer and brought it. So as one leads, all pray and all agree and the petition is made. We're going to make a petition. You know, some people say, I'm, I'm getting petitions signed to get rid of whoever. You know, I'm, I'm going to get a petition. Well, we're going to get a petition by the whole crowd that we need this to happen from God and we're doing it according to His command and we want it to be done. And if you pray in the will of God, it shall be done unto you. This is how you get prayers answered, Really? As a group, as a body of one. You know, think about this. I'll say it again, because I know how we're prone to. I'm with you. I am too. I'm prone. Not one praise and everybody else listens. Now, I know we're not charismatic. We're not going to all lift up our voices and pray together, even though we, we ought to probably do that sometimes. Some people are shy and won't do it. You can pray, though. You can still pray in your spirit. You know, this becomes vital for answered prayer within a church. Unity and accord. So Jesus told them, tarry ten days in Jerusalem. And all the elements were there. The time, the place, the people. One accord. And what happened? The promise came. The promise came. So we need, turn over to Acts 4. You just need to see this. So this is Acts chapter 4. 
We'll get a little example of this and then we'll pray together. And maybe we can learn to do this uh, in, in future times of prayer. Acts 4.24. This is after they were persecuted heavily for preaching the gospel. And it says in verse 24, they can't, well, in verse 23, it says, Being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the priests and elders had said unto them. So they're telling the church, they got basically their lives threatened and, and prison threatened to them if they didn't quit preaching the gospel. And then it says in verse 24, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. You think, did everybody lift up their voice? All of them in one accord. All of them lifted up their voice and they said, Lord, thou art God. And they go to this long prayer. I think one person led and they all agreed. And they and and you know, I know it says they all lifted up their voice. What we're saying here is we need effective prayer. People depend on us. Things depend on us. We need to pray with purpose. That's why praying becomes a, a labor. The Bible even calls it, you labor in prayer. And because you have to put yourself away and you have to purpose and focus on the task at hand. We're praying for one particular thing right now. We're going to all do it together. Not anybody's going to lack, and you know, there's the lack of faith or whatever. People all get, get it. We need to do this. And then we pray together and we agree as touching these matters. Okay? And then the answers come. So what I'd say to you tonight is try to be attentive to this truth. Like next time you're praying at the, at the dinner table, and if you got my dad leading in prayer, you're going to be there a while. My dad loves to pray long. And it's, there's a tendency not to stay with him. For me... I start praying my own. But he's my dad. I need to stay, I need to be in one accord with what dad is praying. You know, and so I think in a church setting, you establish, that's why we take requests and things. We're going to pray over these things. We're going to be one accord on this. You know what I think will happen? You're going to get a lot more prayers answered this way than if, if you just scattered and lackadaisical and you don't put some heart and life into it and attention to it you know so you know we don't know these people but you do your best to pray because the person that brought them up wants this for, needs this for them and we need to care about others as we were in the body and so and my, I mean we need to and out of all of this and these are great these requests are very needy but let's 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 talk about what really, really matters here. When these people that are that we want to come Sunday, there's a chance they'll get saved. Those that need to get baptized, and then we need a church building. That's what we. That's what we really need to tune in on on our prayer. The the uh, getting of people saved, the praying over health, very important. Injuries, needs, that's very, very important. But the but. The, 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 the major points of need. People getting saved, people getting right with God, and the church finding the best way to be effective for, for Christ. All right, so let's pray on that. Uh, we, we, we're going to have to pray quick because I took too long time talking, but I want to say something. 
please listen to what I said because I believe this is one of the keys to getting your, our church prayers answered. When we have a leader get up and pray, pray with him. Agree with him. The best you can. And you don't have to voice it. God can hear you, even though God does like to hear our voices. It's all throughout the book of Psalms. He wants to hear your voice. Let's be serious about this, okay? Very serious in our prayer. And uh, so let's do this. Take the list that you have if, you have, if you wrote these down. And if you didn't, when the, when the man leading in prayer is hitting these points, you agree with him on that, is touching these matters the best that we can. And we, and we want to, by faith, believe God's going to help in these areas and, the, and the, the needs. I think the Lord will bless it.